Welcome to The Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of The Sendcast. We started this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff you can read, but we're all very busy. The phrase, every teacher is a teacher of SEND, is currently an ideal, not a reality. We've created the Sendcast to try and change that, to help make schools more inclusive and to help teachers be teachers of SEND. The Sendcast is a great way to get the same information to schools and parents, a nice, clear, consistent message. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest that I have invited on to talk about a different area. This week, my guest is Lorraine Peterson, OBE, and Lorraine has come to talk about how to survive as a Senko in this challenging post-COVID time. Lorraine has over 25 years experience as a teacher and head teacher. She was the CEO of Nason. Lorraine received an OBE for her services to education and now works as a consultant as well as other roles. Before we get started with the podcast, I'd like to remind you about us here at B-Squared. Over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment content is used in over 10,000 schools around the world, with around 1,500 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system, EverSense, helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well. If you want to find out more about B-Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, www.bsquared.co.uk. There's lots of information available and you can book an online meeting to find out how we can support you. Or you can drop me an email. My email address is simply dale at bsquared.co.uk. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing surviving as a Senko in this challenging time. Joining me today is Lorraine Peterson, OBE. Lorraine is an educational consultant with 25 years experience working in schools. Since 2004, she's been supporting special needs in a variety of ways. She was the CEO of Nason. She's currently a consultant, director of a teaching school alliance and a governor. Welcome to the show, Lorraine. Thank you very much, Dale. And uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about Senkos, my passion. <laughs> Excellent. So a Senko survival guide uh, for this challenging time is what you've called this episode. And being a Senko now more than ever is extremely challenging. So much to do, so little time and so few options. Um, just to be clear, we're not going bare grills. We're not making any random things out of materials or doing anything in the wilderness. It's uh, surviving as a Senko in your school. Okay, so I'm just going to start off by saying you can't be all things to everybody. So stop wearing yourself out trying because you're never going to succeed. And all you're going to do is mess up your own well-being and mental health. And you need to look after that first. But there are certain things within the role that you have to do. There's legal duties. So I would say you've got to prioritise those because that's what you need to do. I think that you will need to be offering support and advice to staff. And you need to make sure that every child that is in your school that is identified with SEN is getting the support they should be getting. So those would be my sort of three things. And again, we can look into those in more detail as we go forward. One thing on social media I've seen talk of is people worrying 
And, oh, well, they're now behind that. Does that mean they're now on the SEM register? Do we put a lot more children on the SEM register due to COVID? That is one of my real concerns. And I, when I am talking to Senkos at the moment, I'm saying to them, make sure that you've got strategies in place so that teachers are able to show you what they have already done yep. <laughs> before they start saying to you as the Senko, they've got to go on the SEM register. Because missing out on education or they've fallen behind because they didn't engage with remote education does not mean SEN. No. You need to have the evidence of what the teacher has done, what strategies they've put in place, if they've put any catch-up interventions, or I I hate the word catch-up, but those interventions that schools are, are now using to try and get kids back on track, if you like. And you as the Senko, you need to make sure that teachers are doing that. You need to say, when a teacher comes to you and said, what are you going to do about? You are actually saying to them, what have you already done? Yeah. And having some sort of pro forma or document that they can fill in. Remembering that teachers need to be using the graduated response. So the assess, plan, do, review process to show that that youngster definitely has got SEN. Yes. I think the other thing that I'd just like to highlight is one of the things that I think we've we've done really well at during lockdown, and there's been some real positives as well as lots of challenges, is our relationships with parents. I think that we've at many, many schools have really built those relationships with parents. They've they've developed really good communications channels, whether that's through social media or whether it's just by phone calls or it might be through a platform that schools have invested in. Again, for teachers, having those conversations with parents about, so what did they do during the time if they were on home learning? Did you notice anything that they were really struggling with? Because lots of our children have done some fantastic things that wouldn't have been on our curriculum in school. You know, if we look at, as you say, on social media, how many kids have learned to bake a cake or, yep. you know, clean their bedroom? Or, and, and they're all life skills that we wouldn't have taught in school, but they're equally as important and as having done their algebra or, you know, yep. their phonics or whatever. So we can't write these kids off. We've got to just try and get them back into the new normal. So I would say, you know, looking forward as the Senko, you're going to be looking forward towards the January census, which is the census that the data's collected for for SEN. And, you know, you need to be really clear about who is sitting on your SEN register and are they genuinely SEN? And are you offering additional or different support? If you're not, then they're not SEN, not in the, no. the criteria that should be used. So I think as a Senko, that's one of the, the roles is to just monitor that register and monitor what teachers are doing and saying. Otherwise, we're going to end up with large numbers of children on a register that shouldn't be on there. I think it's in this SEND code of practice. I'm obviously nowhere near as versant as you, Lorraine. I'm pretty sure the first level of support is quality first teaching. Absolutely. So that first level of support doesn't involve the SENCO in any way. No, it is about high quality teaching that's been differentiated, adapted, adjusted, to meet the needs of those young people. So that adaptation or that adjustment, because they haven't been in school or because they maybe haven't engaged with a certain subject or whatever it might be, is what that teacher needs to do. 
And I understand it's tough, especially at this moment in time, because many of us are still living in, as I'm recording this, people are still in their bubbles and people are starting to keep distance and uh, support staff are maybe not in classrooms in the same way as they were because they're having going to support other bubbles. I know lots of Senkos who currently are not getting their Senko time because they're being used as, as a bubble person, you know, yeah. and having to look after a bubble in order to keep numbers down. From my perspective, as a Senko, you do need time to do the role. And so when we talk about some of the things that I think you should be doing, you need to be negotiating with your senior leaders as to some time to actually do, if nothing else, the legal bit of your job. And that's it's making sure you are meeting that legal requirement. Absolutely. And the first bit of that for me is... Well, there's there's two or three, but the first one for me is about your SEN information report. So every school must have an SEN information report. It must be updated annually and it must be ratified by governors. It's a compliance document. It is the first document that Ofsted will look at if they're coming in for a school visit. And we know that inspections are going to start pretty soon in terms of back to normal for the inspection process. And that will give, it's like the window on, of the world for SEN in your school. So that may not have been reviewed. It may not have been updated. It may not reflect your current situation. So it is possible that within your SEN information report, you have written in the past about all the interventions you offer. But it's possible that you're not able to offer those at the moment no. because you haven't got the support staff to do that or you haven't got the space or because of risk assessments, you're not taking children out of bubbles, etc. That needs to be reflected in your current SEN information report so that anybody who comes to school or a parent that looks at that is not going to question why you are not offering that intervention. If it's written in your report, if there's an explanation. So I would say that would be a top priority for me is to make sure that that, especially for September, is reviewed and it reflects where you are at this moment in time. You can always amend it at a, a point when you know you feel that that needs doing. And I, I suppose with those interventions, because some of those will require external visitors coming in and things like that, so there's a huge... It's not just a case of we're not offering that. You've really got to be... I'm going to say there's a reason you are offering that and you'd be quite confident. We can't offer that due to this or... Mm. We could do that, but so there'll be risk assessments around that external person coming on. It's all you've got to go through all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, and I mean, what I would say is that there shouldn't be now anybody not coming into school. All our health professionals and our you know, educational psychologists, etc., have been told that they can still you know, go into school. It is still up to the school, though, whether they actually allow them in or not. So that's part of your risk assessment. But again, looking at legal duties, especially children with an education, health and care plan, if it's written in the plan, it's got to be provided. And so if you're not allowing a speech and language therapist or an OT or whatever it might be into your school, you are actually failing in your legal duties. If that person, if that speech and language therapist or whoever it might be saying, I can't come in, then actually, if the, if it's written into that plan, that then is a local authority duty. Yes. So you then need to be getting onto your local authority and saying, we can't meet need because X is, is not actually coming into school because they're self-isolating or whatever it might be. But 
if they're not coming in because you're saying they're not, then actually you as a school need to be thinking, actually, we need to provide a room for this to happen or we need to have a risk assessment about that person. And then you need to think about any equipment that they might have to use. Are you expecting them to bring it? Or are you using your equipment and it's being cleaned and, and I think it's 72 hours or whatever it is that it has to be kept for before the next person uses it. That's all part of that legal duty. It's that additional and or different. It's what's written in the plan. Some of that was lost during lockdown and there, there were um, amendments to the law in the first lockdown, although that was from September last year. You know, the law came back in, if you like. So there should not be now any child that's not getting that additional support from specialists. And again, lots of specialists have have, have done online work, virtual work, so that could carry on. Some have actually gone into homes. And as long as you've got parental permission and parents happy for that, that could carry on. So it's about thinking about it differently, but we shouldn't not be doing it. (laughs) You can't just say a risk assessment. We can't do that because on one hand... Yeah, there's a risk of saying you can't, but there's a legal duty. So you might have to find a different way for that short term. Absolutely. And that is a legal duty because it's written, you know, as the the provision that is required to meet the needs of the plan, the education, um, health and care plan. So, again, back to those legal duties, that's something you need to make sure as the SENCO, you are offering those children that should be getting that external support, getting it in the same way that if you need to have, um, if you've got a child that you're thinking might need an education, health and care needs assessment, so you're doing the paperwork ready for that, you know, an educational psychologist should be allowed to come into school to do an assessment. But again, you will have your risk assessments. They will bring their own risk assessments. You know, they will probably bring their own equipment if they need anything to do that with. But that's all agreed before the visit. We shouldn't be saying, as you said, we shouldn't be saying no we just need to find a way around it. And it's important that you're not making assumptions that they will bring equipment. You've no. got to be really sure. And I'm, I really think these people will, but it's you want to make sure you want to make, yeah. suddenly go, I don't know what but actually this happens. So we did yeah. that. You want to be know and be confident what's going to happen. Yeah. And you ask those questions when you're actually booking them or, you know, you're having the initial conversations about what the expectations are of the school and what the expectations are of the actual specialist coming in. And then, you know, where before it might have been that parents might be involved in that. Um, But again, we're not having parents into school. So it might actually be that we have to then have a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting or a telephone conversation to engage with with parents. But we we now know there are lots of alternatives to -to face-to-face. And I suppose the other thing you've got to do is to find out, is that session going to be as normal as it can be? So is it going to be just like it was before or is it going to be different? So is it going to be a case of they're going to be in a face mark or, or whatever? Yeah. Because you may have to pair the children for it's going to be different. Absolutely. And again, you know, some children, they might want a photograph of that person or a photograph of that person with the face mask on. Or it might be that, again, it depends on your class size and, and you know your bubble size and all the rest of it, that actually some of that can actually happen in the classroom. Yep. Again, that's part of your risk assessment. It's part of, you know, all of those processes. But yes, it's about preparing the child as well, that somebody's going to come in and talk to you or somebody's going to come in and watch you. Or And again, that depends on the age of the young person and yep. 
what you think they'll be able to deal with. And, and it might just be that in the first instance, there is just a, a video call or a, a quick Zoom meeting between the parents, the child and, and the specialist and the teacher just to get to know each other yep. before they actually come into school. But lots of different ways now that we can do that. And um, just to important points, remember, if children don't like eye contact, they're really going to hate Zoom. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so... If you are going to do that, it's worth not having the Zoom as the their focus. It's almost like a bit like Lego therapy. You have something else they're focusing on, and that screen with that person talking to them is a secondary thing. Yeah, and that's again, it's about knowing the needs of your youngsters, which is always the bottom line of everything. Yes. Really, it's we've got the systems now. It's just then about adapting them and adjusting them to meet the needs of yeah. the young people. So I'm just going to go back to that quality first teaching yep. you mentioned. And only the real reason is because from when this episode goes out in May, in a week's time, we're running the fifth virtual send conference. And the focus of that conference is all about quality first teaching in supporting those children. So if you want to find out more from Lorraine and uh, 11 other speakers, you can find out more about that. It's the fifth virtual send conference on the 21st of May. But if you can't make it on the day because it's a bit short notice, it doesn't matter because we record everything and you can access it whenever you want, which means all your staff can watch it and get CPD around SEND, which is vital. Yeah, and my, my session has got some really easy, cheap, <laughs> practical strategies that you can use in your classrooms to embed that, what I call inclusive practice, but high quality teaching you know, for all pupils. Because if we get that right, we've got it right for everybody. Yeah, We're not doing something just because they've got dyslexia or autism. We're doing it because it's the right thing for everybody. And we then might need to do some extra tweaks for a few children who might need something slightly different. But getting that high quality teaching right is absolutely fundamental, I believe. And again, as, as a Senko... One of the difficulties you've had, you've got at the moment and, and probably will be ongoing is you're not able to get out into classrooms to monitor yes. what's actually going on. So where you might, and a lot of you I know haven't probably had that opportunity, but where you have, you know, you can really pick up on strategies that people are using in their classroom to engage all learners and then share those with other members of staff. And, and what I would say is if you can't get out there to do that, Again, maybe a one staff meeting or, you know, where you, again, if, if that's virtual and, you know, using a platform, just ask everybody to bring one strategy that they have used that has been around that inclusive practice, that high quality teaching that has worked in their classroom, that has engaged maybe a youngster that they weren't engaging before and just share that good practice because yeah. often... It's all about, I don't know what I don't know. As a Senko, we're not asking you to know everything, but you can facilitate that sharing of that good practice. You know, and if every single member of your staff went back to their classroom the following day and implemented one minor change in their classroom that actually meant one more child was engaged, that's got to be a win. Yep. So there are other ways of doing that monitoring without having to actually go and sit in classrooms. Definitely. Going back to those... Teachers who think, oh, there needs to be an SM register, is I suppose what all schools need to do is think about what are their expectations of the children? What are they expecting them to do? Are they expecting them to fall straight back into those same learning patterns we were in over a year ago? Mm -hmm. 
or are you expecting differently? Is the curriculum being delivered differently? And the recovery curriculum, less of a curriculum, I take what away from that is give children time, maybe change how you're teaching to be less head down, working, more discussion, more group work, because it's a lot of the social skills which will be children will struggle with because they haven't had them for a year. So it's giving them opportunities to redevelop them. It's working out where children are struggling and then working out, God, is this going to be a short-term thing or is it, is it going to be a long-term thing? Because some of these children, they're not going to bounce back straight away, but they're just testing the water and they're going to get there. Others, it could have a longer impact on. Absolutely. And I think last September... We all went back to school and, and, you know, our doors opened again for everybody. You know, I'm very aware we never shut, but, you know, we opened for everybody. And I think the majority of schools, especially primary, did engage in that recovery curriculum, whatever that looked like. And there were different methodologies of that. But it was about putting the social, emotional and mental health and well-being sort of at the top of the agenda and making sure there were opportunities for the children to talk and express how they're feeling. We went all the way up to Christmas and, and lots of people I talked to were saying, actually, they all came back a lot better than we thought they would. They, yeah. they bounced back very quickly. Um, we only actually did recovery curriculum for a couple of weeks and then we went back into almost full curriculum and what we were planned to do anyway, which was you know really great. I also think that children didn't lose out as much as people thought they were going to. They didn't fall behind, if you like, as much as we thought they were going to. But I think there is a longer term issue here because we then went into lockdown in the first week in January, which was a big shock. To, you know, we weren't prepared for that. We've then almost had a whole term of not being open fully. I mean, yes, and teachers working very hard to engage remotely and in class and, and trying to juggle those two things, which is... I don't think you'll ever have to work as hard again. Most people were back March the 8th, but then it was almost Easter. Yeah. <laughs> so it was only like two, three weeks to, to get back into that routine. And then we had two weeks off again <laughs> for Easter. And so I think that, you know, it's going to take a while. And it quite panics me when I think we're now in the final term. So we're going to have to start thinking about transition, which is the topic of another podcast that is going to be available. But, you know, we're going to be thinking about how these children are going to transition to whatever is the next stage of their education. And actually, we probably don't know them as well as we would have done had, had we have been in school full time. I think there are some children for whom they will have had some trauma during lockdown, whether that's bereavement, whether it's not seeing family members, whether it's that they've been party to more domestic violence within the home. You know, lots of things that maybe we haven't seen yet. Because these children, you know, are so glad to be back at school and the safety of school and the, the security and the consistency of school yeah. that they're actually, they've come back okay. But actually maybe, you know, two, three weeks down the line or even in September in the new term, when they go into a new classroom, we might still start to see. And of course, you know, as I'm talking now... We have no idea whether we'll have another lockdown or whether there'll be social isolation for certain bubbles or we're not out of the woods yet. No, and that's, that's yeah. a big thing. I think it's still all over the news. There's a third wave hitting Europe. So is it going to hit yeah. us next? Are we going to close again in two weeks? So 
I don't think the children maybe feel it's the end. So that will have an impact on them as well. Sorry, I was just going to say for older youngsters, I think the loss of exams is, is huge. You know, there's probably those that are actually running around going, yeah, 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 you know, I haven't got to sit my GCSEs or my A-levels. But actually, when you've worked really hard for four or five years to do those exams and then suddenly somebody says, well, they're not going ahead anymore. I mean, I know lots of secondary schools are already doing assessments that will be building up towards those final sort of exams. I know that, you know, there's talk at the moment about what will 2022 look like. So you've got children who are in year 10, is that right? Yeah, year 10 at the moment who are now thinking, so what am I working towards or, you know, what's that going to look like? I think there's those youngsters who last year didn't do exams and and they're now in sixth form or doing whatever. And they'll be thinking about my job prospects and how employable am I because I've not got the actual exam results, I've got teacher assessment. There's lots of challenges that we haven't quite got to yet because no. we haven't got to the point where it might actually hit. At the moment, yes, it's good. We're all back and it's okay. It's long term. And I think, yes, we, we need to be planning for September and the new year and trying to be as normal as possible by then. But it may well be another year <laughs> before we're actually fully up and running. And it's, it's lots of random things because, you, you know, lots of different random things affect children that you won't understand. And various things could happen with parents, jobs mm. and the home and things like that. But also, we all love our summer holidays, don't we? Mm. We all love going somewhere. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that won't happen this year. No. So that's so things like that. And then you've got stuff like respite care. It's a huge other world of stuff that isn't happening which will have an impact on families which again cause further issues as well yeah absolutely and and holidays are a big part of people's lives now i mean you know even even children that you know maybe come from disadvantaged backgrounds parents try their hardest to get them away and it might just be to go and see grandparents you know until we know exactly what that looks like i mean at the moment we can't go into anybody else's house or we can meet in gardens and, and all the rest of it hopefully you know, in a few weeks' time, that might change, but who knows? Yeah, you know, the great thing is we've got a vaccination program that seems to be working. Yep. But again, will we ever get back to that point of everybody's able to cuddle everybody else again and give people hugs and, yeah. you know, sit on grandma's lap? And, you know, I think there's always going to be a bit of a fear there. My husband and I were having a conversation the other day about do you think we'll ever go back to shaking hands? When we just meet yeah. people, especially business people, you know, in the world that you and I work, you know, that's usually what happens when you meet somebody from the SEM world. You walk up to them and, you know, you shake their hand. And yeah. will that not happen anymore? Because we know that that's quite a clear way of you know, transferring, con- yeah, transferring yeah. germs and things. So we're going to have to think differently. And summer holidays won't probably be the same. We also know that more people now are living in poverty because unemployment or furlough hasn't mean you know, they haven't been getting the same sort of wages. And um, food poverty's increased exponentially, so the use of food banks, increasing domestic violence and abuse. So and we also know, again, in certain areas of the country where a lot of our youngsters and a lot of our vulnerable youngsters, our SEN youngsters come into that, have been groomed, they have been sexually exploited they have been brought into criminal gangs because they've been out there and i know lots of schools have tried to get their vulnerable children in and and have been really key 
in that safeguarding thing. But there will be some that have fell through the cracks. There will be some, especially older ones, that just didn't want to go into school. But actually, because they've been hanging about on the streets, they've been easy target. And again, it might be another 12 months before we actually start picking up on some of those youngsters. So there's a longevity in this as well, I think. Yeah. So one of the questions you've written down in the notes is how is funding being used to support SEND pupils? And again, it's going back to, as you said, you have your plan you used last year. And it's like, yeah, we need to do something different this year, I suppose. Yeah, and, and I think you know, funding is always a huge issue for Senkos, and I meet hundreds of them. And you know, you, the, my first question to them would be, how much money do you get as a Senko? And it's usually sort of £500 to buy whatever, you know, my membership to Twinkle or whatever it might be, but or my membership to B Squared, of course. What you really need to know as a Senko is how much notional SEM budget you're getting which is the amount of money that comes into your school to support your SEN children. It's out there. It's in the public domain. You can find out how much that is. But often school leaders, it's part of the budget and it just becomes part of the budget. And especially the last couple of years when we've seen real decline in school budgets, it has just got sort of mopped up really. And it's not ring fenced. So as a Senko you should have that overarching knowledge of what actually is coming in for SEN. And it's not just the bit you get for buying your your resources. I would also say that a third of children who are on SEN register are also in receipt of pupil premium. So you need to be talking to the person that is responsible for pupil premium as to how is that money being spent. Because again, you could pull some of that money. So your SEN money, pull that. We've also got catch-up premium, which was given by the government last June. We're about to get the third tranche now, which was meant to be for the pandemic and lockdown and catching up. And again, it won't all be for children with SEN, but there will be children that do need some additional provision. So what's that being used for? And some of that money, some schools are using to buy into the National Tutoring Programme. And again, that might be something that you could think about for some of your SEN learners. There are specialist SEN teachers as part of that programme. So that might be additional staffing that you could think about. And then there's also another tranche of money, which is actually at the moment called recovery premium, which isn't huge. And the majority of that is being looked at for secondary schools to run summer schools in the summer. So looking at supporting our year sixes going into year seven and I suppose it's making them secondary ready so that's really what that's for Um, so secondary readiness and again it's about how many of those children who if you're a primary Senko working with your feeder schools to make sure that they understand which are the children that would benefit from that summer school program remembering that you know some youngsters may not want to go to school in some holidays and and I think we have to take that into account others may be really grateful of it and they'll see it as a bit of a a play scheme almost you know and and but then again it's about the secondary school getting the right provision and yeah. not just thinking about it being more maths and more english but actually more creativity or sports. more sports yeah more pe sport more outdoor activity or even you know, using some 
external specialists to give, so using speech and language therapies, for instance, to do some more communication work. So it isn't English. It's actually speaking. It's listening. It's oracy. It's vocabulary development. It's the things that they really will need to know when they get to secondary school. So, again, it's just thinking about what will that summer school look like. But, yes, there are these pockets of money, and I think there will be more. It won't be more into the school budget. It'll just be these pockets that you then have to, you know, sort of tap into. And I, I forgot, sorry, there's also the primary PE and sports premium, yep. which again, you know, for youngsters that have really missed out on physical activity and access to outdoor space, and lots of our children live in flats with no outdoor space, again, some of that PE and sports premium could be used to give them more activity type more uh, options. Yeah, more options, more curriculum. So there is extra bits of funding, but it's about working together as a school to use those wisely as opposed to, well, we'll buy that intervention or we'll buy that set of books or we'll bring in these extra two TAs or, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's about thinking about which are the group of youngsters that we really want to concentrate on and what will be the best use of that money because... That won't be there forever. They're one-offs, really, or, you know, maybe another year off. And the PE and sports premium, at the moment, we don't even know if that's going to carry on next year. So we're still waiting to hear about that. So, you know, everything's life-limited. Yes. Um, one of the things which I was unaware of, which I've talked about in a previous podcast, was the kind of SEN admin. So... Yeah. And I, I see this when I come on social media. So I'm going, I'm drowning all this paperwork. Because a lot of Senkos are teaching full-time. Yeah. They've got all this stuff to do. And there is kind of a, like an allotted amount of time they can use to get someone else to do that admin stuff. The Code of Practice actually says that they should have enough time to do what they need to do and the resources to do it. So you can interpret that, if you like, and I would interpret that to be admin support. Yeah. Because if you asked any Senko what they spend the majority of their time doing, they will say paperwork or filling in things, you know. And, and so I would personally would say that 10 hours of an admin assistant or you know, more if you can afford it, but 10 hours a week would really greatly help a Senko. Yep. And that wouldn't cost an awful lot of money for a school, especially if it's somebody who's already in the school, but they designate, you know, two hours a day or whatever to SEN. And it's things like, and, and I know that when I say this, those Senkos listening will be going, oh, yeah, she's right. You know, you are trying to get hold of a paediatrician who has seen a child in your school, you're waiting for a report, or maybe the paediatrician secretary. You're working in their classroom all day. You have lunchtime and after four o'clock to ring. Yep. Well, at lunchtime, they're at lunch. And after school, they've gone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so if there's somebody who's sitting in an office with a phone who can make that phone call... 20 times over, just sitting there and ringing, doing a job, ringing back. And if it's just to get a piece of, you know, it's just to ask them for the report or it's just to ask them for a piece of information, that doesn't have to be the Senko. No. An admin person can do that and then feedback to you. And that means you're not spending the entire week thinking, I must ring, I must ring, I must ring. And then you get to Friday and it's five o'clock in the afternoon and you think, 
I didn't ring so-and-so. And, you know, you're another week then before yeah. you get, you know, lots of the bureaucratic stuff that we have to do in terms of form filling and... Arranging pla- meetings. Arranging annual reviews and getting people round a table. And actually, again, you know, annual reviews are, are now being done or majority being done remotely. They're being done using Teams or Zoom. Lots of Senkos are saying to me, it's great because we get everybody there because people don't have to travel. But actually, you are still being expected to do all of the pre-work to make sure that all the paperwork comes together. An admin person can do that. Yeah. As long as they know who they need to speak to and what they need to gather, they can do that. They can send the calling notices out. They can send the paperwork to parents. That would take them as that's part of their role, where if you get two hours a week to do your Senko role, which is about average nowadays, one person's annual review <laughs> gathering of paperwork can take just all of that time and you've done yeah. nothing else for any other child. So I think admin support is one of the easy ways for a school to support a Senko. And I just think it's something that you should ask for. Before we started recording, Lorraine and me were discussing the joys of a paper calendar versus a digital calendar. I'm fully digital. <laughs> you, I, my, looking at my outlook at my calendar, it's quite scary. Lorraine's very paper-based. And I think... One of the benefits of a digital calendar is someone else can organise you. If you give them your rules, this is when I can do things, this is when I can't, this is a thing, they can then have your calendar and they can book things in and see when you're available, which, again, that's another offloading. As, as Lorraine says, yeah. getting that person to arrange meetings, putting it in, mm. and then sending you an email, it means you know it's going to happen. They can put reminders in as well. So if I've got this here on this date, mm. we have a reminder which comes in like a week before, don't forget to prepare which means it helps you stay organised. I am a paper person, but then that's my age and it's where I've come from. But if you're using paper, you have to say to somebody, I can do because you've read them out your diary. Then they have to come back to you. And then, whereas if somebody else is doing that for you and they've got your calendar in front of you, they just do it. You don't have to wait for all of that to come back. The other great thing that I have learned during lockdown and I have used is that, of course, if somebody books you onto a Zoom or a Teams meeting, it automatically goes with the link into, whether it's Microsoft or Google or whatever you're using, your calendar. And then you don't have to then search through 15 emails to find the link because it's in your calendar. So that is just a real boon, really, because if you're like me and you get hundreds of emails, which I'm sure you all do, that's something else that an admin person can do. They can actually... Just look at your emails and that get to know which are spam, which are adverts, you know, which are somebody just trying to sell something to you that yep. you might not be interested in. I mean, I'm not saying they get rid of everything, but they might be able to flag the things that are real top priority. So something that comes in from the local authority about an education, health and care plan or a child that they want you to take or the really important stuff, at least if that's flagged, you know when you do get some time, they're the ones you've got to read first. And sometimes when someone sends you an email, you often have a really simple, basic question they didn't answer. So they might be able to read through that and go, oh, they haven't given that information. They can send that response without you. So there's so many benefits. Yeah. And yeah. The other thing to submit on the calendar front is we use a piece of software called Calendly. And Lorraine used that yeah. to book her recording session. It puts the availability into that person going, oh, they're available on that Thursday. So am I. Click without even asking us when. It says lots of tools which make life easier. Yeah. 
And again, it doesn't rely on the phone call. No. And, and getting through to somebody because as long as you, you trust the other person to be looking at that information, which, you know, they wouldn't have put it on their system if they didn't use it. It is vital. And as I say, if you're only getting, you know, a couple of hours a week to do your Senko role and you could spend all of that just looking at emails or just doing your calendar or just updating your your calendar online to tell everybody else what you're doing. And that's another thing. Your admin person can then make sure that if there is a meeting when normally you would be teaching, for instance, they can liaise with senior leadership or whoever does all your supply and say, so-and-so needs to be out of the classroom on that date because they've got this really important meeting. So having that person to be the sort of intermediary is really helpful. I think um, Lorraine has always said for years, we are we're in the 21st century. What's the phrase? Right, we've got 21st century children in 20th century schools with a 20th century workforce. And I think 2020, Zoom, <laughs> Teams and all that lot and going to digital calendars is a big push in the right yeah. direction. And we can't go backwards. I mean, no. that's that's the thing we've got to think about. I think we've got to think about, think of the positives that have come out of this. And as I said earlier, there's lots. Yeah. And stick with those. And going back to what I've just said, you know, we talk about 20th century workforce. Why I mean that is because we still rely very, very heavily in our mainstream schools on teachers and teaching assistants. And yet actually... Given the mental health issues that we've got, given the well-being difficulties, maybe every school needs a school counsellor. What do we do? Will we buy them in just for that odd child of mine? But actually, if there's somebody on your staff who is a qualified counsellor, think of what they could do to support, especially going forward, some of the anxieties and some of the, the mental health issues that might arise over the next 12 months. You know, again, I think, and again, it's just my opinion, I haven't got the data but I actually think that we're going to have a lot of children in the next two years starting reception with really, really poor speech, language and communication difficulties just because they haven't been mixing with other children. You know, yes, I know nurseries have been open, but actually if you were a child at home with your mum or your dad or grandparents, you've missed out on the mother and toddler groups. You've missed out on the, the church playgroup you've missed out on the mother and child ball pool expeditions you know all of those things that would have been your social communication mixing with other children and so again I'm sure parents have done their very very best but it's not the same as having peers and other children to to be with and so when we were talking about the longevity of this I think that children coming into reception this year and possibly children coming into reception the following year we will see the results of people being in lockdown for nearly a year there'll be more separation anxiety they haven't left their parents for the last year they've not gone to parties they've not done all these stuff you've just gone through they've been at home with mum or mum and dad or dad and now they're going to school yeah. and that is going to be a huge shock. It's not like they've made friends because they've been to parties. It's no. not like they've been to the toddler group or seen yeah. some of them in the ball pool. Or played with their cousins, for or instance. Cousins, I mean, lots yes. of, you know, close-knit families. It's often family members that mix, you know, because they all meet up on a Sunday at Granny's for dinner or, you know, whatever it might be. All those things. All those little yeah. opportunities. They've, they've missed out on. And so I think that we are going to see that. And again, it's... It's about preparing for that. It's being ready for what's what's also going to come. 
And if that's the case, and we do find you know, certain areas of the country that we have got a significant number of children with increasing speech and language issues, then do we actually have to have a speech and language therapist for a day a week in our school? That's what I see as a 21st century workforce. I, w- I would say the government obviously foresaw this with uh, the pre-key stage standards. It's why they did the speaking. Oh no, they didn't do that. No, it's just reading, writing, and maths, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because that doesn't. That's not. Oh dear. And if you oh actually dear. look at the new early years foundation stage framework that's coming in this September, that speaking, listening, oracy is not as high on the agenda. I know that people working in early will do it, but it's not as high a priority as it, it once was. So um, again, we, we need to be making sure that those opportunities for that language development are, are there all the way through school. <laughs> the new early years, I complete sidetrack, but that new early years, the new levelling scheme for SEN really does worry me. Yeah, absolutely. That first level, birth to three years, mm-hmm. and they're going to come into school... Where are they? And that's it. it yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be quite, yeah. This I'm, is going to be different. And, and again, if, if staff haven't done, the majority won't, because again, this goes back to 20th century training as opposed to 21st century training, they won't have done child development. No. So they won't understand what a neurotypical, well-developed child at two should be doing. Yeah. So therefore, they won't know that at three, these are the, you know, all the rest of it. And if we don't know that, then how do we know if that youngster has developed neurotypically or is behind or in advance? I mean, every child develops differently. Don't get me wrong. We're not, you know, but we've got to have some benchmarks. We've got to have some sort of guidance. Yes. But when it is so vast and woolly. You need we, something. Yeah. And, and it, it is going to be a challenge. So if you are struggling in the early years, birth to three, have a look at what B-squared have done. We've done a load of stuff because we look at what the government did and went, we're not doing that, we'll do our own thing. And in terms of stuff like developmental language, delay, all those sorts of things, we have had a number of podcasts with Wendy Lee and Ang Harrod Welsh, who are speech and language therapists. They're really good resources to check out, yep. support all teachers thinking about the literacy and language link. If they can't do it orally or verbally, they're really going to struggle putting it down on paper. But if you're just looking at the written, you have to look at spoken yeah. language. And, and I would also say the, the other thing that is now in and we've got to be teaching it is the new Sex and Relationships and Health Education programme, which is now statutory. And, and yep. as from straight after Easter, that was you've got to be teaching that. And Ofsted have been very clear that if they come in this term, they want to see what you've done so far and what your plans are for the future. But an awful lot of the health education for primary schools is around language and having the language to be able to tell us how they're feeling and what their emotions and feelings are. And for many of our children, they don't have that emotional intelligence. They don't have that language. So going right back again to early years is teaching, you know, what does happy mean what does sad mean what does angry mean what does and not just the mental capacity but what might that mean physically so if you've got that tummy ache because you're really anxious about doing something yeah that's anxiety you know but you've got to be able to tell me that telling me you've just got a tummy ache isn't going to help no you know telling me i've got a tummy ache because i'm worried about 
we'll be able to support you. So I think that developing that vocabulary, developing that language from as early age as possible is vital. I really like that new PSHE guidance. If you think about the four broad areas of need, communication, interaction, you're going to be hitting a lot of that with spoken mm. language. But a lot of this new relationship, mental health stuff, that's hitting, going to be hitting quite a lot of those SEMH areas. Mm, for those, not where that's a specific area, but for those no. general pupils and all that, you're going to be hitting a lot of those SEMH areas with that new, it's really good. And you're giving the children strategies to be able to talk about and tell you before they get to that point where they are, you know, I would say their stress container is so overloaded that the cork comes out the bottle. And if you can give them the strategies to actually regulate when before it pops, then you're going to help their mental health and well-being. Definitely. Which will will also help behaviour in schools. It is. It's, is it's, an issue. All, it's all links. That yeah. communication, the SEMH. So I think all the disparities. There's a very big link between those yeah. two. Uh, that's have a huge impact on their learning, that cognition and learning, and their entire life. Yeah. And and the, one of the things that just going back to catch up funding really. One of the things that worries me is that schools will be spending that catch-up funding on bringing in a new inter, a maths intervention or an English intervention or a phonics intervention. But actually, if those children have come back to school with significant social, emotional, mental health needs, it doesn't matter what you throw at them in terms of academic, unless you address those social, emotional, mental health needs, they're not ready to learn and therefore you're wasting your money. Yeah. So again, you know, just from a, from a Senko point of view, just work with your senior leaders and just think about... Is it all about the academic? Is it all about the catch-up of English, math, science, whatever it might be? Or actually, do we need to invest some money in some social, emotional, mental health support, which might be outdoor activity, it might be forest school, it might be Thrive. Yeah, it's there's a more also, nurture approach, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Here's your opportunity to do that. Because once you've got them in the right place, you won't need the catch-up for English and maths. They'll be in the right place to yeah, access so they, it anyway. Even if your focus is to catch up in English and maths, Still probably looking in the wrong... Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the focus, yes, but you do yeah. that by working over here. Yeah, absolutely. That's where we've got to put the work in. That's where that's the... And you've got, you got to sit there and think about what is it the children are presenting? Yeah. What's their engagement yeah. with things? That's that's what you've got yeah. to look at is give them opportunities, give them experiences, yeah. give them chance to socialise yeah. with their friends. And I, and I actually think that, and I've said this to, you know, Senkos, you might want to actually look at the engagement framework even for children that are not working at that level, but just look at those five engagement statements. And, you know, you can actually use those as a sort of tool in your classroom and observe the children on those, you know, curiosity or whatever. Just are our children doing that? Even older, you know, this doesn't have to be children that are, are working at engagement. Just use those five statements to look at, are they engaged? So I think the engagement model, I think it's been really badly communicated because so many people misunderstood it. I'm not going to go into that as a whole podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, the crux of it is thinking about these five areas, the exploration, the realisation, anticipation, persistence, and the other one. Did um, they drop curiosity? I can't remember. Yeah, there was curiosity in yeah, the seven, but I know yeah, there's now five. So. so there's five. But what the original research was is, is you can do it with the complex, but in reality, you can do it all up to degree and A level. It works for every single conversation you ever have. If I start talking about something and Lorraine's bored, all those areas are going to drop and I can either change topic or actually I've now got to try and deliver that in a different way. And what you'll find with that engagement model is it's not really about changing the children. It's changing 
how you teach them. It's adapting what you're doing and tweaking it slightly to get their engagement up. And I think that's what the recovery curriculum is about. It's looking at what they need yeah. and keeping that engagement. If their engagement isn't heads down writing, if their engagement is doing it more in a playful way, that's how you do it because yeah. the engagement is there. They're going to learn it. And I, and I think, what you know, again, for children with special needs, yeah, I often get, you know, you've got children, for, for instance, maybe, you know, ADHD or, you know, on, on the autistic spectrum and, you know, they, they need to have something to fiddle with. So they're, they're sitting there and they're squeezing their ball of blue tack or they've got, a you know, something that they're they're actually manoeuvring with or or they're sitting on a wobble seat and they're, they're wobbling. And you'll get teachers will say, well, they're not engaged, they're not listening to me. And actually, they're probably more engaged and listening more than they would be if they hadn't got that. They don't have to be looking at you. No. And they don't have to be sitting still to actually be engaged in what you want them to be engaged in. What you need to do as a teacher is what does that engagement look like in that child? It might not be they're sitting still. There might be no eye contact. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, think about what does that engagement look like? It isn't just about they're sitting and they're doing their writing because there are children who will be sitting doing their writing and they're totally somewhere else and what they're writing is nothing like what you want. But they're quiet and they're sitting and they do so. Yeah, it's another way of looking at how you and the children are interacting, really, I suppose. And I think, again, from a Senko point of view, sharing that with staff as something that they might want to look at. Because a good teacher would never do this, don't get me wrong, but there are some teachers that might think the child's got to change. It's the child's fault without actually taking a step back and looking at themselves and saying, what could I have done differently? Or did I trigger that? Or what did I say that actually caused that to happen? So that child that suddenly gets up and runs out of the classroom, that's not because that child is is just being disobedient and naughty. Something has happened in that child's life that has meant that their anxiety level is so high that they've had to fly away. So the flight, fright, flight, flight, yeah, that's it, freeze, (laughs) has, has kicked in. Yes. And yet, you know, there would be that teacher that would then reprimand that child for running out of the classroom whereas actually we need to step back and think what did I say what did I do what happened to trigger that reaction can I do something different the next time the majority of teachers wouldn't do that but unfortunately and again goes back to 20th century workforce 21st century children and again training professional development which again is why things like the VSEN conference is just so good because you bring together that really good group of experience and expertise and bring them all into one one room almost you know although virtually on one day and then it's available for as long as you know it's it's on um uploaded and as long as the school's got it so it might be that you know my session on um high quality first teaching might not be something that you do next term, but actually the first day back um, in September might be something that you want to put on your TED days or, you know, your training days. And you could use some of that for that particular session. So really useful to think about where can I get that experience and expertise? And you'll note I put experience first. Yes, that, you know, we all 
like to think we're experts, but we're experts because of experience. It's not because we're, you know, we're brilliant at what we do. It's just literally because we've been made around a mistakes. very long time and made lots of mistakes. Yeah. And and picked up everybody else's good practices yeah. is what we're doing. But again, you know, tapping into things like what well, now, like you are with Sencast or with conference is a really good way of keeping up to date and keeping other staff up to date. Yeah, and that thing about different engagement looks and neurodiversity, um, we recorded a podcast with Fintan O'Regan, who's another speaker, all about neurodiversity and that when something happens, expecting them to change, actually, I think I said to him, he's like, you could be on two sides of two trenches, you both dug in, you expect the other person to change, whereas actually what you find is you both need to meet. Yeah. You have to sit there and go, what, what did I do that caused it? And sometimes that running out of the room is okay. But other times you've got to teach them you can't always do that. They might be in a situation they can't run out. So again, you've got to come meet the middle because of that and they've got to find a different way yeah. of responding. Yeah, um, and it might be that there's a place in the classroom that they can go to, you know, yes. a safe space or a chair or a cushion or, you know, they don't run out of the room, but they actually just move themselves away to a, a quieter yeah. space. But it's interesting you saying that because I was reading earlier on Twitter a, a tweet just before I came in here about um, an EHCP that one of the outcomes was for a child that has a, had a diagnosis of autism. By the end of the year, they will have full eye contact with the teacher and be able to communicate with all their peers. I'm just starting to rock. So, it, you know, again, it's, it's that under, or, or lack of understanding. It's like... You know, they'll be cured. They, you know, they, the, the traits of their autism will not will just go away. I mean, it's just, you know, and it, and it is about not understanding. It's not about having that. You haven't got that experience and expertise in terms of really understanding. And again, the role of the Senko for me, and this is again probably one of the challenges at the moment, is that being that person to support members of staff and offer that quality, high quality professional development. And again, if you can't do that face to face, what is available online? So tap into that and share that with colleagues. So things like that on Twitter, I sit there and I, <laughs> and I, I go, well, that's just not one person's mistake because that was agreed with a group of professionals who one of them should have gone, hang that's on, he might have autism. I, is that a really good thing? Yeah. Should we be doing Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, yeah, we're, we're still on a steep learning curve, I think. And, uh, yeah. and, and it does come down to training and professional development. And if you haven't been trained, then you don't know what you don't know. I'll go back to that statement. That's something, you know, again, if you haven't had that, why would you know it? Yes. You know, and, and sometimes when I'm talking, I feel, I do feel, feel sort of quite patronising at times because I just think, this is not rocket science. No. You know, people do pick these things up. But if nobody's ever shared with you, it might be a light bulb moment. And yeah. I'm back in very early days of my teaching career, which is a long, long time ago now. And not something that, you know, and I did do child development. I was lucky. I did lots of work around that. But, you know, the first time I learned that if you sit a left-handed writer next to a left hand, you know, right hand and left handed next to each other, they're just going to keep banging into each other. Switch them around. Yeah. <laughs> but until you've actually seen it or somebody tells it you, it wouldn't even occur to you. No. But I remember being in my classroom in, as a very new teacher and both of these youngsters, both boys, I have to say, but their writing was appalling. And I actually watched them one day and you realise one of them had got their paper sort of twisted one way and another one was sitting in their chair and you just thought there's a simple answer here let's just move them 
But you've got to have that knowledge, really, that you yeah. can do that. So I do think sometimes, yeah, you do feel patronising, but you can sit there and say, you probably all know this, but maybe something you've missed. Yeah, and, and that as a Senko, I think, you know, often you're in that role because you're passionate about this particular group of youngsters and you have found out the different strategies and support mechanisms and you assume <laughs> that all the staff in your school are using them and, and have got them. Don't assume. No. As, as Dale said, you know, use it as a sort of learning and, and maybe set up a scenario that this happened in my classroom yesterday and I didn't know what to do, but actually, you know, I'd, I'd thought about this or that and actually don't make it personal. Yeah. But actually just give them, you know, throw some ideas out there and or as I said, ask them to give you ideas that have worked in their classrooms. And always use the phrase the phrase just so we all have the same understanding. <laughs> this is how you make a cup of coffee, Lorraine. <laughs> yeah. Because by saying that, you're not saying I'm not saying you don't know yeah. how. But, but I like mine this way. <laughs> um but it could be someone in that room. So you that by saying that, you can say to those people I'm not. This isn't for you. Yeah. But actually, if you do watch, you may learn something. Yeah. We may realise yeah, yeah, yeah. it's changed. Yeah. But that phrase. Yeah. Let's. So we've all we've all got the same understanding. Yeah. Is quite a good way of. Yeah. Some of you are not doing this, but I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> or again, if you know a particular child because you've taught them previously, you know, or when when they were in my class, you know, I found that this was really helpful. It's just the way you, you deal yeah. with it, really, and you're not just sort of saying these are my top ten tips and you will use them. <laughs> you're sort of finding other ways of saying that, and you know, again, that can be really helpful for for senkos. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Lorraine. Okay, it's been a pleasure. So, um, Lorraine's provided me with a link to the National Senko Workforce Survey 2020, which I'll share in the notes. Which again just reiterates the lack of time, lack of support, lack of many various things that are facing co so you're not alone but it doesn't mean that's what you've got to put up with absolutely so i'll be putting a link to that in the show notes and i'll be sharing lorraine's contact details and you'll find the show notes on our website www.thesendcast.com thank you for listening to the show if you haven't subscribed already please subscribe you can find links to subscribe across the different podcast platforms on our website and please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook and Instagram, we are The Sendcast. And also use social media, share The Sendcast with others, share the good news, share the great advice that all my guests bring. And before we go, I just wanted to check out what we do here at B Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education, which is where the virtual Send conference is. And you'll find, like Lorraine, a number of our speakers on the Sendcast are also at the virtual Send conferences, or some of them have also recorded their own training courses on the website. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment products. I mentioned our earlier stuff at the beginning, but we do assessment all the way through. It's what we here at B-Squared are famous for, helping schools show the small sets of progress pupils with SEND make. And we do cover a huge range from those early years through post up to post 16 preparing for adulthood we also have things for autism and various other stuff so visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information about what we do and you can even book a meeting with us and use that online tool i mentioned which has mine and my colleagues availability in to help you book a meeting with us really easily so thank you for listening we'll be back soon with another episode of the same class goodbye from me and goodbye from me and good luck good luck